Fear is my friend. Fear is our self-preservation instinct. Fear is helps us make choices in life. So you still feel that emotion of being scared and nervous and like the, all those, that spectrum that happens. Yeah. Welcome to Playing Business. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm Dan Gardner. During season one of Playing Business, we sat down with professional athletes, sports commentators, league owners, and one of the world's most prolific climbers to ask the question, can success in sport translate to success in business? Conrad is a rock climbing and mountaineering legend. His career reads like a thrilling adventure novel. Conrad's journey has taken him to the summits of some of the world's most treacherous peaks and the depths of his own personal limits. Beyond the ice-covered landscapes and vertical ascents, we will explore the mindset that propels Conrad to push boundaries, embrace uncertainty, and find meaning in the pursuit of adventure. Whether you're a seasoned mountaineer, an armchair explorer, or simply someone who thrives on the tales of courage and resilience, this episode with Conrad is bound to spark conversations that will lead you inspired and awestruck. Let's get it. So I would like to paint a picture for you. December of 2017, playing for the Cleveland Browns. I think it's about the third quarter. I got two blitzers coming off the edge. And I decide that I'm going to slide the protection out to those two blitzers. What I end up doing is I leave one of the best linebackers and hardly hitting linebackers in the game right through the A-gap to come take me out. His name's C.J. Mosley. It's probably the scaredest I've ever been on the field. You, on the other hand, my fears have nothing compared to what you've done. I'm just curious, what are you scared of? Ooh, well, in, when I'm climbing, there's a constant, and that's gravity. And I have the tools to manage that, the skills to become better at it. So where your moment of, of fear, you had built yourself up to get to that point. And so you knew what you had to do to be in that. And it's the same way. In a, in a natural environment on a cliff or something like that where I've spent time in practice getting to that point so I know what I'm, I'm doing on that. So a, um, the fear in a, in a natural setting like that is at times you have to go through places that are, have the risk of things falling on top of you. So as in flying an airplane, there's objective danger and subjective. Objective is the lightning bolt strikes the plane and subjective is pilot error. So when we look at objective danger, it means walking through the Kumbu Icefall on the way up to Mount Everest, notorious and just collapses. And 2015, there was 14 people that died in a, the, the icefall collapse. So that's it's kind of out of your control and you have to get through there. And then subjective hazards then I can manage that and, and work through it. But um, yeah, the, uh, on October 5th, 1999, I was hit by an avalanche on the south face of Shishapungma in Tibet. And my climbing partner, Alex Lowe, and Cameron David Bridges were killed in that. And it was the, I got pummeled, I got thrown 60 feet and suffered a concussion, broken ribs, but walked away from it. But that what that did to me was it's a very high price to pay as a reminder to be present and live in the moment. Were you always a thrill seeker? How did you get oh, into yeah. climbing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in the mountains, and so that was, um, there wasn't swimming pools to go skateboarding in. <laughs> we didn't go to the beach, and we would go into the mountains with, uh, and, and go backpacking, and that was, uh, my dad's, he really enjoyed it, and so that was his, his uh, background to it. And my grandfather hunted, and that was his activity of choice in the, in, in, in the back country, and my, um, my uh, dad was like, hey, I wanna go climbing, so he started taking me out at a young age, and at age 14, after climbing a peak with my dad and his two buddies, which, is a cool story into itself, but I, I realized whatever I did in life, I needed to focus on this activity of climbing. It brings me joy, it brings me, it challenges me, and I didn't realize it at the moment, but having the other parts of my life taken care of, food, shelter, clothing, that we then work on 
self-actualization and that this was my calling in life. And so the greatest gift of life is to one, find out what your calling is and then excel at it and then give it away and hand it on to the next generation. It's, it's, as much as it's uh, probably more of a, a, you know, typical activity for, for someone who, you know, lives up near the mountains to do, it's just, to me, it's just such an exotic experience. It's even watching, you know, some of your films and, and um, some of the more recent, you know, Netflix documentaries on, you know, uh, free climbers up there. It's just, I, 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 my heart, I can't take it even watching it on TV. I couldn't imagine being up there. But for some reason, we still try to relate that as a sport. And, I, and, and to me, as, as I'm talking about fear and the game that, that I was able to play, which is a very violent game, it just it seems like it's kind of in its own category. As you look at climbing as a, as a lifestyle and as a passion, is there any comparisons that you have to sports, or do, 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 you, do you look at that as kind of its own uh, world the same way I look at it? Yeah, they're, um, they're, both, they're both sports, and they're both... Um part of what we do. We work so we can take time off and enjoy life and whether it's sailing around here in the bay in your yacht or playing chess on the on the, the colonnade there. I mean you find what is meaningful in life to you and that um, for me the the connection I had with fellow humans that say the three of us are going to go do a climb we have to depend on each other and that like that builds teamwork and I was lucky. I had a scoutmaster that was um, took me under his wing. He was convinced that all the kids of today, particularly the young boys back in the '70s, were they weren't getting the right lessons and stuff like that. So we'd go out and do these uh, these wild things. But um, yeah, there there's a lot of similarities. I mean, you trust in your in the people that you're with, and in sports, there's obviously rules, time. It's how we function at, but it's the same way in climbing. There's style in which you climb it and how you talk about it with other people. Um, so there's that experiential part that's really significant to me. But you don't have refs. <laughs> you don't have a league. In, in the Olympics, yes. So indoor okay. climbing is okay. now, it's legit. It's, I mean, the World Cup is taking place in Europe, so they've got the adaptive World Cup and the, the lead and the bouldering. So the best athletes, and they were at the Tokyo Olympics, they'll be again here next year in Paris. France is a very climbing-centric country, so they're going to shake up the format from what they had in, um, in Tokyo, where they had to compete in speed, difficulty, and power. So power is bouldering, difficulty is a lead climb, and speed is like the seven second manic dash up the cliff and so pretty and each one of those areas has a different specialist in it and so they're all weighted and so the climber's like hey what's going on like there's 10 different categories in gymnastics and so they're not going to have tumbling and beam be judged you know in the same thing so really positive in that sense to see it and um, the new sports that are coming online um, surfing will take place in Tahiti Breakdancing is going to be in the Olympics, and it's um, yeah. There's there there is that that aspect of it, but perhaps in a big picture, if we look at climbing as this tree, and the root of it is gravity. It's a constant. We struggle with it from when we're born to the day we die, and the different ways in which we can climb. So we've got climbing at altitude, which is what Everest is. Free solo climbing, which is what Alex Honnold did in the free solo movie. So those are like the two types of climbing that people are really familiar with. But then you've got bouldering, wall climbing, trad climbing, sport climbing, deep water soloing, <laughs> caving. And there are all these different ways in which you use those tools and you can, you can apply them to a different creative aspect of climbing. As you mentioned, the, 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 the today, Climbing is, is an Olympic sport. It is a, a true career. There's plenty of opportunities to, to go out and um, you know, monetize on it, whether it be through brand deals or, or winning tournaments. I'm sure that this has come a long way since you, you've, you've begun you know, climbing yourself. From a career and monetization and as a job perspective, what was it early on climbing and that uh, was it a side hustle was it something that you know you just kind of did for fun and you had your own job off to the side of that and at what point in time did it um, really strike you that you could you know 
truly give your life to it and turn it into a full-time career? Yeah, great question. Everyone that climbs is, they have to climb. They have their factory setting was go climbing and they've got to like chase the demons out of there for whatever reason they go climbing, but they're, whether it's adventurous or something, but they climb because they love to climb. And it wasn't until 92 that I was, I got $15,000 a year to go climbing. I was like, yeah, I'm in there. <laughs> I mean, still, Alex Honnold's probably the most well-known climber in the world, but I mean, he makes what a dentist makes. He's not making e-sport gaming money or anything like that. So it's, it's a little bit different. And part of that is we really don't have a live venue. So news and live sports are there and there's timing and there's people win, marketing, advertising, the buys go into that. A lot of the stuff we've been studying here, but we're experiential. So we have to come back and tell a story. So that, and we're kind of by nature a sort of an introverted, you know, there's this old thing about not talking about what you did and the humble brag and all that. And, but now that uh, it's made it into mainstream media, um, the Alpinist and Free Solo as examples of films and how popular it is in advertising and the metaphors we use of climbing and things like that, it's really, it's really changed that. Um, so it's not, I do it because we love it, but my whole career, I'll, this coming September, I'll be 40 years with North Face. And so the pro climber thing is a little bit of a guise. I'm a mid-level marketing manager for a raincoat company, which I'm totally happy with. So we get a brand compass, brand direction, recruiting, retaining, developing athletes. A lot of those things that, that we work with are really, they bring me great joy. Can I just ask a very simple question of like, why do you climb? <laughs> oh yeah, they're, uh, it's the, the connection I have with other humans that like when you leave and then you put your harness on and, and you belay someone, your life is literally in their hands. And that connection in a natural setting is, to me is, it defrags the hard drive. So after an oversubscribed life with everything in the world running to come into us, as soon as you get three body lengths above the ground, the most ancient part of our brain back here, the, the breathing, the fear, the flight, the hunger, the reproduction, that ancient part interacts with our prefrontal cortex, which has brought us jets and TikTok and everything else in the world. I mean, it's, so that combination of both of them. And that, when you were in that moment where you had to like, you're firing on the front of your mind, like how am I gonna take care of this? But at the same time, the very ancient part of your brainstem is like, okay, this is like, this fear that you experienced there was primal. And you were like, that was, and did you get hit or did you? I got, I got rocks. <laughs> you got rocked. Like you just, and then like, like the, the split second before it happened, there was probably like this, yes. like, oh no. Yeah. And then. Do you like that moment? I try to avoid it. So. <laughs> but do you like it the moment? At the moment, no. But afterwards, I'll, you can kind of savor it. It's like having a sip of wine and being like, hmm, that's good wine, but you don't want to live on it. Well, is that, you know, is, you know, we've been talking to a lot of athletes here, you know, and one thing that we've been talking about is, is it winning, you know, getting to the top, or is it the journey that's the passion? On, for my end, it's the journey. And when I was young, yeah, it was, my first trip to the Himalayas, I was 24, and I was like, okay, this is it. I. Saved up money, I'm gonna go climbing there, I'm gonna do this trip and, and um, come back and I'll be a hero and talk about how, how badass the route was and steep. And, but I came back more connected and more influenced by the people that live there. And for them, the mountains were, they weren't what I saw them as, which was a, a canvas for my ego. But they, for them, they're deities, they're, they're threatening, they're the source of water, they're, there's a lot that goes on with them. And, in the Buddhist culture, which believes in reincarnation, they're like, oh man, we feel sorry for you because in your previous life you had done something wrong. That's why you reincarnated and you're going up to suffer. <laughs> and so, you know, and if you reincarnate and you don't have suffering, then that's a, it's not how I view the world. But seeing their perspective gave me insight and appreciation for how wonderful and diverse this planet is. 
I think I, I really want to dive into kind of the, the business of climbing and what you've been able to do with North Face. But before I get there, just because it's such an, an interesting and, and kind of a smaller in context compared to some of the football, baseball, basketball, and, and hockey here in the States, just the basics, right? Maybe I know that there's a, a couple different types of climbing, but what goes into getting up a mountainside? So if there's a popular route like Mount Everest that, that sees uh, people come up and they'll sign up with a guide business, everything like that. But if you're doing cutting edge climbing and you're a professional, um, Everest is sort of like a, a checkbox. So like you, you played college ball or wherever you, as you moved up into the pro leagues. And then, but once you're at that level, then it's looking, studying the mountains, finding a route that's aesthetic, that's safe, that's challenging that matches your abilities and skills and then um, planning it. If you're climbing in the Himalayas, you have to have permits from the government. You work closely with the local people there and the Himalayas are incredibly dangerous mountains. They're this massive snow fence at 27 degrees latitude, which is about Miami. And they go all the way up to 29,035 feet. So it's a huge, they have the the Indian Ocean, the Bay of Bengal, bringing moisture up and it, it lands on there. But um, yeah, they're that whole combination. So Interesting. I would love to learn more about kind of your relationship with North Face and how that relationship has matured over time. It's not every day that we get to sit down and <coughs> speak to a goat of a sport. So I'm just curious, as you were climbing the ladders and gaining more popularity around your climbing, how did that impact the relationship with North Face and how has that progressed over time? Yeah, it, uh, I started out in the retail store, so I was, for the first, I started in 83, and to 87, I, I, I was there. I was a shop fellow, and I, that was my job when I was at university, and go in there and work from three to nine, six hours, three or four days a week, and I got a deal on gear. I got to meet people. I was really happy with it. And then 87, I was like, okay, I'm going to go that first trip to the Himalayas, and um, that was like a, a breakthrough. And then coming up with ideas for how to innovate um, product and, and work with that. But the foundation was working in retail. So North Face is going to be successful if we sell clothing and equipment. And there's um, and to help bring the brand into that. So starting in 92 with the climbing team, then morphing that into the athlete team, um, then being team captain for a decade or whatever, and and kind of shaping the brand in that sense and being that the rubber mallet of authenticity, like, hey, we're a summit brand. We go to the top of mountains, and you want to go chill at the beach with a pina colada or have hot chocolate in a log cabin. Other people serve that. We just want, like, and we sign athletes that push those limits. I mean, look at Alex Honnold. I mean the free climb of the free rider route on El Cap without a rope is one of the greatest athletic achievements. I'm just thinking of it, my hands are sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel like about business? You're like an in the moment type of person. Yeah. You clearly like focus on perspective. You have seen, you know, I think when we were talking, walking, talking about perspectives yeah. in a different way. What's your relationship with business? Obviously, beyond the tactical, but like the actual relationship, you know, your big relationship with yeah. people. What is your relationship with business? I love business. Love it's business. A, it, I'm fascinated by it, and um, yeah, I to see commerce and to see we all need to exchange goods. No one can live off the grid. So whether you're in sports or entertainment or media or you're a corn farmer or you're a, you work at the steel mill. We all have these different jobs, and to get that trade across, we have an economy, and that then ends up being business. And the, um, yeah, I started a company and then sold it, which is cool. They, they're still around. Kevin Boyle, shout out to you, Kevin. <laughs> but yeah, they're, um, you know, that, that concept of it is really good. And then where I'm at now in life, I want to take business and management skills and turn it into a vehicle for goodness. Mm -hmm. So how can we do that? Yeah, so to that point, do you think in business or the businesses you, that you're involved in, what's the business responsibility? You know, 
Is it to the shareholders? Is it to driving profit? Is it growth? Those are the you know typical yep. business. Obviously, now there's a lot of talk about you know other type of values and focus. Yep. You know, how do you look at that? Because business typically, you know, especially in America, is obviously capitalism. Yeah. So I'm just curious how you, again, back to the relationship part, how do you look at that and think about a brand's responsibility? With North Face, we want someone that buys into the brand to feel good about themselves. They want to identify with that. And as we know, there's parity. I mean, we're not, we all have two legs and two arms. And so aside from color change, each seasonal, there's clothing is a commodity. So each of the brands has its own ID. And so we're listening to uh, Spike Lee earlier and um, the woman that runs Jordan Enterprises and like what that took to get decades plus of endorsement to bring that around. So and people, they, they buy that because they connect with it. And that's where marketing comes in. It's really tight because you're like, hey, I can, I understand what you want to do in life. And then this brand or this sport then connects you with it. So do you consider yourself a marketer more than anything? Do you oh, think yeah. you're like an operator, marketer, obviously brand ambassador? Is yeah, it? I really like marketing. And I mean, now it's so digital. I mean, we're tied to Zuck and the metaverse. I mean, until something else comes along. I mean, I, Instagram has a huge, and you know, as things change with that, and now it's very data-driven. But when we got started, and, and you'll remember these days, it was a lot of it was intuition, like, this is a cool thing. People are going to relate to that. And those, those, that intuition that came from experience and having a, a broad mind and being open to different ideas and cross-pollinating those ideas and bringing things in. And so all the creativity here is, a lot of it is taking an idea that might not necessarily be tied to that, but yet there's a connection to it and that's going to break through the clutter. And that, if that's a, a system to look at marketing and you can apply that, then it's, um, you, you, you see with that. But um, yeah, it's a good, I enjoy it. Yeah. You're clearly an unbelievable storyteller. And, and I'm, I'm curious because you, you mentioned and I assumed that a lot of people who like to climb aren't necessarily uh, the, the most social of, of people. Is that, is that something that's always been around? Is that something you've learned over time to kind of develop your career? How have you got into that? Um, climbing has always had a, a storytelling component to it. If you look back to the Odyssey, there's always certain people within every community that would take on risk and they would go to the other side of the ocean and come back with reward or, or, or failure. And there's always been people in each community that had that that willingness to go out there and do it. And within that, the old early explorers were they talked about their, what they did, and then they wrote them, and they'd have slideshows with that. And so, um, yeah, when I got started, and I was good at it, and I was getting recognition, I would—I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm gripped, I don't know, with all these people here. And so I'd look at my shoes, and then someone says, hey, people think you're full of yourself, and you're stuck up because you can't talk to people. I'm like, okay. So then I've made a point to be right away to when someone, I meet someone, they're like, this is my moment. We have only one moment for a first impression, and how's that first impression going to be? And you're going to be, you know, how that is. And yeah, Darika and I were walking here, wonderful person, and we're like, oh, "Where are you from?" This and that, and she's like, "Well, I'm from New Jersey." I'm like, "That is the most beautiful place." I mean, they've the Garden State and Cape May and the Pine Barrens, and like I knew all these areas, and there's like this calm, and she's like, "Wow." Most people feel sorry because I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> and now, how would that make you feel? Like, yeah, there's something beautiful everywhere you are. And so, finding that a way to support people and give them different, like, in conversations and podcasting, you have to take the plane off and you have to land it. I think I'm still orbiting in the clouds on a different uh, topic there. But, um, but uh, on that point, you know, back to the being in the present, yeah. are you, you seem to almost refine that as a skill to be in the present, whether it's present with, you know, a random person you meet or a new person you meet or in a situation, like, are you thinking about that skill or is that now just coming naturally to you? Like, do you, do you consciously reflect on your day or your week or a, an hour and go? Yeah. Well, the beauty of climbing is I have to be present. If I make a mistake, gravity's gonna pull me down. I'm gonna break my leg, 
rupture my internal organs, break my back, and could possibly die. So that theory, I mean, that possibility that you could get seriously hurt, you have to be present. And that, when I go through it and I'm clipping my carabiners and I'm working through it, and all that really brings me into a point of, of, being, of being present in that, um, and that, we were walking here, we saw yeah. the chess players. Yeah. Their mindset might be four, five, six moves in advance. And they're, they're like- in the future? Yeah, they're so complex yeah. because they can't, well, how's this movement affect that? And that, I love playing chess, uh, but there's different ways. And, and that being present has been informed by my practice of climbing for, I started at age 14 and I'm 60, so 46 years of tugging at gravity. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting because, like, when I think of what you do and even uh, when DK started with, like, do you have fear, I think about all these emotions and your relationship to those emotions may be different to people that don't do what you do. Like, for example, another thing and even related to business is failure. Failure for you, like you just said, it could be death, it could be significant. Yeah. You know, business, actually, we're taught and we talk about this a lot, we love to fail because failure leads to our success. Yes. So, how, how do you think about failure, both you know when you're climbing and how the context when you're doing business? Yeah, and if you make it to the summit, that's success. But the the first measure of success is you came back alive. Second is you're still good friends, and third, if you're lucky, you get the summit. And the summit ties in with weather and a lot of those other things in there. So that that way that you work within that and is, is, is how you define success. But the expedition, say for Meru, it was the third go, the third time I traveled halfway around the world and trekked up the Gengo tree and freezing and suffering and just miserable, getting hungry, but the third time we had success. But the first time we learned, okay, we need a different approach to it. The second time we got beat by the weather, third time and we were almost at the summit, but we couldn't, had we gone on, we would have an exposed night open. And without having the proper safety gear and being where we were two weeks plus into the expedition, we, were, we didn't have the stamina and reserve. So we made a decision to come back and then you came to it. But it's, um, yeah, for every time that things don't go well, there's a lesson in there and it, you have to like, check your ego and be like, okay, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to learn what the mountain's telling me in the same way with people. And so when you interact with people and how, um, how did you make that person feel and that coming back to that human connection with people. Are you a visual thinker? Like when, if you're looking at a mountain, are you seeing your path and then coming back to the present? Oh, yeah. Okay. That, we have all these different ways that intelligence manifests itself and like it can be on the court. Michael Jordan is an example. It can be on the football field. DKU is an example. And whatever our intelligence is, then we then we really build upon that. And my visual thinking is I can see a route, and it's like sight reading music. And so I know like how many pitches the nose on El Capitan is, and what what you need to to link a pitch at camp six or what the glowering spot, these are the locations on it and that, um, and we draw little maps of what we do and that um, my notebook as I, um, as I do my day to day business is, is full of, I use a pen and paper. I mean if I just type in, you need to call DK back, that's one thing, but if I draw a picture like DK's smiling face and a thumbs up and I circle it and and I love these print things. I'm always coming back to them, and it's refreshing to see how many people that work here in the marketing world have their notebooks with them, yeah. even though they might have two cell phones in their pocket and an iPad over there and a mainframe computer back there. And they're <laughs> like, I still want pen and paper. Yep, same here, same here. Kind of maybe alluded to a little bit earlier, but today, what chapter are you in? You've 40 years with North Face, you've climbed pretty much everything you can climb at this point. Where, where are you at today as an athlete as well as a business person? As an athlete, I still enjoy getting out climbing. If I try to set my goals at what I climbed when I was 30s, I'm just gonna let myself down. So life is a linear experience. You wanna keep moving on with it. And the beauty that climbing has given me, that connection we have with people, being able to 
encourage more people to to um, to share with people the joy of climbing. And so if you go to a climbing gym, it's just peals of laughter. It's this great community. People are working out together, and it's in a compact space, and you mingle. It's a really cool social type thing. And currently, my goal is um, working with Memphis Rocks, which is a nonprofit pay-as-you-can community center in South Memphis. And encouraging people of color to get into climbing. And so historically, the, the yeah, it's like going outdoors in the woods wasn't encouraged. Yeah, shit was bad. Okay. And I see that now when I go climbing with my black friends in the south and they're like, yeah, you've got to chaperone us. And so we show up at a climbing area and this is in the south, and the guy's like, obviously he knows I'm not from there, and I can play dumb. Like, hey, we're going climbing. <laughs> this is beautiful, isn't it? You know, there's no, nothing like that. And in the same way, like when I travel in South Memphis, and I'm with my friends, and there's four of us in a car, and we're just cruising around, hanging out, they're chaperoning me. So if we can not have to have that, and we can just accept all people, I mean, I use that as a small example, but the, um, the connection I've seen that, that what, Memphis Rocks and has done to that community. It's, it's a community center, it's a wellness center. Um, they employ lots of people. It's across the street from Stax Music and it's revitalizing this. And it comes down to this, like when we belay each other, you got me, I got you. And once you understand that language of belay, I can travel anywhere in the world, from India to Israel to Russia, Korea, Japan, Australia, anyone that's a climber knows what blocking off the rope is. It's its own language. It's its own language. Yeah. And you immediately, like I'll show up and you're like, oh, you're a climber. Mm -hmm. I might have more introductions as you would as a mm -hmm. celebrity football player. You're like, oh yeah, I want to be your friend. But yeah. even if yeah, anyone that's in there, you're like, hey, we're friends and let's, uh, let's go out and go climbing. And so you, you have this connection that is, that is, and not that I don't want to, proselytize and how great this is and everything because there are people that are not they don't have great ideals of standards of when they go climbing but it by and large it it, it forms this community are you looking to grow the sport because it, i could be completely wrong but from my lens it's such a risky and such an exotic thing to go do that I can't say that like I'm gonna go be the biggest evangelist of telling a guy to go stand in the pocket and get hit by you know CJ Mosley over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, um, because of that fear. Is is it something that you're looking to grow? Do you think that the, the world would be a better place if there's a bunch of climbers around? That's a great question. Yes, un unequivocally. And that way in which we communicate and it's, um, yeah, there, and tied into that is representation. So last year in in May the. Full Circle Everest Expedition was the first all-black-led expedition to the summit of Everest, and wow. yeah, seven people to the summit, doubled the amount of people of African heritage that made it to the summit of Everest, and they did that, and representation matters, and for children to, you know, as they go through the history books and things like that, they'll see like, wow, I can do this, and so having people of color out fishing and doing outdoor sports, that is a healthy place to spend time, it's a, it's a, a welcoming place and so trying to to encourage many more people within that and climbing has had this very steady you know small small growth and goes up and down it's not like pickleball which booms and it'll probably stick around for a while but rollerblading windsurfing and elliptigos I mean all these new sports that like show up and they're like I was a rollerblader in the 90s yeah yeah they're good. it's a good conversation yeah. starter yeah. <laughs> now, it's good to see trick skaters out yeah. they, they get after uh, a lot of stuff and you know in that sense it's really do you, do you think do you feel you have a fiduciary responsibility to grow the sport not in a not a fiduciary but more of like a from my heart from your heart because it means a lot to me and that is um, yeah, they're, it's my community, and they're, it was the first time as a kid that I knew this is where I was at, and this was my friends, and so that, that was... Uh, Did you play other sports growing up? Yeah, I played baseball, loved baseball, I played football, um, but it was tough because I was like the odd skinny kid and with the weird name, and this is in the 70s, and so 
the goal there wasn't to build the kids up, it was to beat them down, they had to fight back, and I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. You know? <laughs> there, I mean, I, Did you feel a difference when you had success in your early, when you were younger and you first started climbing versus success when you played beyond that you were, you felt a little awkward on the field or, you know, whatnot? Like, was there a moment where you're like, I feel something different? And is it, and when you think about expanding the sport in your heart, yeah. Does that is that part of it that you want someone you have that perspective that we don't because we've never done that? Yeah, if they um, if you go out and then there's that that moment you're three body lengths above the ground, all of a sudden our self preservation kicks in. Mm. Like if you stand in if you accidentally stand in the middle of the road here and you have a near miss, I mean, your system chemically and emotionally releases a bunch and you've like you've you you've seen that. And that that's part of the sport, and that's when the present in the present. That's in the feel present. Alive, yeah, you really, yeah. Yeah, and there's, um, yeah, it'd be great to, you know, the people of of when people have differences. I mean, they've done studies that if you take a walk outdoors and you work through what you're talking about, rather than sitting in a crowded place with distractions and alcohol and things like that, that you're better off. I mean, they, and these are not just observational anecdotal type things they're actual putting sensors on our brain and understanding where our brain is heart rate and a lot of those things so there is there's a legitimate benefit to doing that and the there's always some park or some bit of nature within any any community that they can then come in there and and when you have that connection to nature, one where you realize that you can use your, lose your life in here, and then the other side of it is that you have um, this, this moment that you can't, you have to hold on to it, that, that, that to me is the magic in it, like, wow. <laughs> What's next? You know, what, 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 uh, in terms of, is there a big trip? Is there a big event? Uh, you mentioned the Olympics next year, or, or the, I'm uh, sorry, the the, uh, the big event here in Paris next year. Like, from from your perspective within climbing, what's, what's next for you? Nuts and bolts, I leave to go to the Himalayas in August to uh, manage a, a large film crew climbing in the mountains. So I'm, I get to do the... I got to play fort with walkie-talkies and my Sherpa Nepali friends, and it's great because I got to like make sure the generators are going and the batteries are charged, and I like that, that like that organizational spreadsheet. And for your game, that was so you just can't go out there willy-nilly. You have to know where you're going. Your team has to be on that same plan. You have to practice. You put your time in, and that organizational thing brings a lot of joy. And that I'm not going to be on the summit is great. That. Their success and safety is my source of happiness with that. And so that's in the near term. But in the bigger picture is to, we look at how much vertical space there is in urban environments. And that you can have a pop-up boulder and kids can go at a playground. And now, if we can have... We had the monkey bars and jungle gyms and teeter-totters, and they're getting taken out because kids, they knock their teeth out, they fall and they hit their head, they're dangerous, and then they time out, and the kid after second grade is like, I don't want to play this, and they're going to do something else. And so, But you put a boulder in there, and you have big holds, small holds, all side by side. You can have anyone from climbing, like Chris Sharma, who's a super strong climber, to a novice, and they can climb side by side and interact with each other. And they don't get hurt at the same level that you would on a jungle gym. So bringing climbing to a, a greater audience, a greater population, and not that everyone has to go climbing, but that we have an understanding of what it means and why that, that goal to what we uh, go. I think there's, oh, sorry. Oh, and the next big thing, this, yeah, is, this, yeah. is, this is my crazy idea. I was actually gonna ask about Crazy ideas okay. and innovation. So, <laughs> well, let's go your question. Then. No, no, yeah, I'd love to hear. Here. No, please, please, please. Idea. What's your, what's your next crazy idea? So here we are. We're by the ocean. Yep. With a lot of people here. So, all these people need one energy, which is primarily electricity. We can now power cars with that, and we all need water. We have this ocean out here. So you can imagine if we pump water in, or if you're in the the desert or uh, the Dead Sea, you could siphon it down. But you would have 
salt water come in and then it's either through photovoltaic electricity to boil it or if you have a massive solar furnace where you have concentric mirrors lined up and they 10,000 mirrors, there's one here in the Pyrenees, and you can get to 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, flash boil this water, that spins a turbine which creates electricity and then as that steam condenses into fresh water, you have um, potable water, you have mineral water that you can irrigate with, you can do afforestation. So, and this came to me, I was in one of the news magazines and they had these, uh, were like, they move rock out to, this is in the, in the Mideast, where they're moving rock out and they build these, looks like palm trees and spiral, I mean, it's really cool, I mean, seen from the air, but to me, I always look at that and I'm like, there's like an imbalance there. I mean, it's like a great expense to the environment, and then you find out they're burning, they're boiling salt water with bunker fuel to create, bunker fuel is low grade, it's what the ships run on, it's very particulate heavy, a lot of soot in it, and so, to turn something that into there, that if we could have this, where we lower the level of the sea by pulling salt water out, flash boiling it as it condenses, spinning turbines, and so. Well, to, to, to that, <laughs> to that, you're clearly an uh, environmentalist. You, I'm sure you deeply care, you know, again, back to the perspectives that not all of us uh, are fortunate to have. What do you think it's innovation that solves the problems that we're having? You know, it's hard to change behaviors. Like, you, every, obviously, ideally, yeah. everybody just changes their behaviors, like how they consume things, what they yeah. consume. But the reality is, it's very hard for that to happen. Yeah. So, do you think, are you an optimist, you know, whether through innovation of the idea you just outlined, through other people working on it? Is that the solution that we need to get to? It's actually innovation to get us there? Oh, yeah. I'm a serial optimist. Life is, life is amazing. Can you believe it? We're here. Incredible. We made new friends, yeah. and we're like, things are good. And so let's um, let's make the most of that. But the table we have here is a tripod. It's the most stable. Yeah. Yeah. If you have four on there, you're going to be wobbly, or they have to be good. And it's a bigger table. But a tripod table, tripods are stable. And so if we look at three different things, we have data, we have technology, and we have lifestyle social ways that we can then move towards that. And so in the case of anthropogenic induced climate change, we now realize that it's pretty real. I mean, if we're, if we don't look at the data, we're denying it. And so that, one, we have the data, we know that we have to address something. And two is the technology. And so we are tool users and the fact that we have AI now and AI can you know, plug this the hydro monster solar still into the AI and, and is it more efficient to run photovoltaics or is it to like have that direct flash boil? And those sort of ideas that, that, we're, that we're in there with it is definitely, um, and that's why in the United States we are, I mean we have our, our challenges and there's people that don't want to admit where we are and how we got there but different conversations, but we have this sense of innovation and exemplified by our education system and, and how technology comes up and how everything from Edison and the light bulb on to where we are now with computers and a lot of this stuff is because of our societies that we want to do it. And we have the data, we have, we're learning about the technology, we have to get societal will to bring that in there, to have a stable tripod. When you think about your business ventures, are you thinking about how to solve those problems to add the third leg onto the table or, you know. Oh yeah, that's uh, Is that fundamental to, like, are you building those values into the different business, you know, yeah. ventures that you're taking on? Yeah, I, I, so we look at healthcare. And so as we're walking down the colonnade or this, what do they call this? The, the Palais? The Palais. Yeah. And so there's all these like, these average <laughs> like, if you could change one thing in medicine, what would it be? And so, we have the data, which is we know where you live and how you eat and what, you know, what your life expectancy might be. And then we have the medicine, which is curative, but we're missing out on the lifestyle. And so that third leg isn't there. And to get public figures that come out and stand up for living well and, and doing good things. And so 
in the medical standpoint, yeah, what's missing there is a societal buy-in to make people better. And the way that we're medicine in the United States is fractured in this very profit-driven model. And um, yeah, it's a the most altruistic use of our carbon allotment is in the medical system, but we have to we have to build in preventative, curative, mm -hmm. and combine the two of them in that, because um, yeah, they're, um, we want to live and we want to be with our people, so. I really appreciate your insights. Something I never thought I'd be able to do is to sit down and unpack such a unique mind and from a perspective that is truly elite, as big as it gets. I'm really excited um, to learn more about removing the salt from the ocean and, and seeing what yeah. we can do with that. My girlfriend's a, a huge environmentalist, and she lives up in Northern California. Her grandpa's from Colorado, and has really changed my perspective. Being a, a kid from Toledo, essentially a suburb of Detroit, there's not a lot of this being said. Climbing isn't really an option. Even going in nature is kind of a, a unique thing to do out there. So as she has brought a lot of perspective into my life, and simply being able to go out and doing some hiking, I've really realized the impact on me as a human now starting to feel a bit of a responsibility to now have an impact on our environment itself. Uh, being able to get these insights from you all, it has inspired me to want to get involved. So if there's any sort of way that, as you continue to explore how that, that makes sense and building the business around that process, please let me know. I would love to be involved. Okay, we're going climbing. Deal, I'm in. Deal, right? Cameras, we, we recorded. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> we're going to go Let's climbing. We're going to we're gonna go, whether it's the Grand Teton, but... We'll go out there and the, the connection we have with the rope that and that planning and all that. It's a great it's a great way to to stay active and and when you go to the climbing gym it's flexibility. By pulling on things you create bone density, which is something that Dan, as you and I get yeah. older, it's we gotta make sure our hips yeah. stay yeah. strong and our plumbing stays good and mm. sports help keep those things healthy and um, it, so that that sense of really being able to uh, to connect and, and it builds mental acuity because you have to do the same route again. So, as you worked your your plays and you knew where it was each time you did it again, you were that much more efficient. And right. so the same thing, you're like, okay, if I have a turn in on this to grab that hold like that in an undercling rather than like that, I can then all these little subtleties and nuances. And then you're communicating with people, which is the beauty. When I go to the climbing gym, I go there for the exercise, but I come back happy for the community. I've connected with people. Do you, you know, we, we were talking in one of the other podcasts about innovating courts like basketball courts into multi-surface courts to do other things like play soccer and other sort of... Have you been thinking about that? Obviously, you talk about this community center, but like, you know, low-lift ways to make it a bit more accessible to everybody or a lot more accessible. Like, is that part of your innovative thinking that you've been focused on? Yeah, yes, um, whatever we can... Whatever's there that we can get people to do it. So, yeah. um, and these, the, we look at the courts in, in New York City and they continue to be, you know, they have boulders in them now. There's some out at Jumbo in, in the example there, but there's climbing boulders. Where we live in Gallatin County, community wide, we've built eight boulders in parks. Do you see you just put the boulder in? People are like, oh, yeah. And we do it with bake sales. The, the, the city gives us the land and we do a bake sale, whatever. It's a phrase. Yeah. We pay for ourselves or get a little bit of, we get, you know, find some grant money that's out there, but they're great because, I mean, they're now, some of them are 15 years old. We have to patch up the concrete a little, but everyone's welcome to them. The taggers don't tag them, so they're like, they're like respect them, mm -hmm. and and they're, they don't need to be illuminated, they don't need to be secured, they don't need to be mowed, and they're there for anyone, and even if you're not climbing on it, done properly, it's just a little aesthetic that would be a, um, it's great. For, for me, like, when I'm, like, when we all get to this point where you're, like, frustrated, not, like, you're frustrated. You're not angry, but you're just like, damn, why did, you know, if something went wrong, a call didn't go, or someone that you, you had counted on or whatever, things didn't work out that way. And so for me, I'm like, I go and I do pull-ups. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for, for you, Mike, toss a football yeah, or, or yeah. do something like that. We have these ways to to take stress out of our life. And if we have an avenue to do that, then and, and less likely for people to go to drugs, alcohol, and guns to solve disputes. Like, hey, 
we're all in this together and that I have to yeah. ask a question maybe this is a crazy <laughs> question but like I don't know if it'll come through on the podcast but it, you know even when we met yesterday and we chatted earlier like you have when you talk I just feel like a, an energy like you have like this energy that like I, I feel but I'm gonna ask like a weird question about the energy <laughs> does anybody think you're an asshole Oh, yeah, they're... <laughs> you know, like, in business... Yeah. Sadly, fortunately, unfortunately, not everybody has loved me along the way. <laughs> you know, I try to do yeah. the right thing, I have tried to do the right intent. But, like, do you... Your energy is so... Incredible. You know what I'm talking about? Do you yeah, feel in it, too? Like, it's calming. There's yeah, a lot of wisdom yeah. that, that so comes from everything you said. Does anybody think you're an asshole? Oh, yeah, there are people that are... Um, in, later in life, maybe not early when you were, like, developing who you are as, like, an individual. Yeah. But, like, now... The people that disagree with me are, um, when I speak out on social injustice, oh, climate, okay, so, uh, guns, things that are close to my... Even in, even in when you have a physical proximity to them. Yeah. I get to... Even if someone disagrees with you, I say, you're wrong about the environment, blah, 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 but we're next to each other. Do they think you're an asshole? I've, yeah, there was one fellow that... Okay, one, one time. It was just recently, but he was like, yeah, it was a, yeah, there. I asked that, because do, do you think that's connected to being present, perspective, your focus on relation, you're like, you're really in tune with relationships. Is that all connect to climbing? It all connects to, to climbing and being what this trust that we have and that I've lost so many friends. My best friend died next to me. I married his widow, raised his kids with Jenny. Um, David Lama, my mentee. I mean, it's, I've had too much. Hillary Nelson last year in September. It's a, it's a terribly dangerous sport. So I'm gonna go back to a relationship yeah. again. But what's, what's your relationship with death, knowing that you've had this tragedy, you keep putting yourself in a situation? Like, what is that relationship like? Death is guaranteed. We don't know the timing or the provenance of it unless we do it on our own. That's not where we're here for. We have to give back to the world, and that's a, a pretty key component of it. But it's um, one thing, yeah, you'll learn, like, I want to be 95. And I see these on Instagram, these 95-year-olds climbing 5'8", and I'm like, this is great. <laughs> And Fred Becky was that way. He'd get up to the base of his climb with a cane. He couldn't walk. But then he was on the, on the cliff, and he was like, you know, he was back into his, his soul with that. But it, um, yeah, there's, um, there, uh, but I also, if it was, if we had an earthquake or the building fell down and there would be, yeah, there, I'm not, I've lived a full life, and I'm not going to, like. Right, so you're. Totally. I have to go back to the first question then. <laughs> Forget about fear on the, you know, on a rock. Like, do you have fear? Oh, yeah. Fear is my friend. Fear is our self-preservation instinct. Fear is, helps us make choices in life. So you still feel that emotion of being scared and nervous and, like, the, all those, that spectrum that happens. Yeah. And so here, it's... The drivers are... It's a little... I mean, obviously, the stakes are different, depending, but yeah. you, you get that feeling. That, yeah. Because I was saying to DK uh, earlier today, when I was younger, I was a very scrawny kid. I was, I was quite shy. Then I went on, started a business. I had to manage people, stand in front of people, stand in front of cameras. And, like, over time, there was a point where I felt very much more yeah. comfortable. And now to the point where I wouldn't say I never get embarrassed as emotion, but it's... It's very, very rare, where I'll actually feel when I, that I'd always feel when I was younger. Like, I couldn't even read in front of a group of people. So that emotion, my relationship, again, back to that emotion, has significantly changed as I've gotten older, as I've approached, you know, as I've, you know, been in situations where I could yeah. be embarrassed. You're in situations all the time where you have fear. So that's why I'm so curious about how does that emotion evolve in you over your life. Yeah, embarrassment, it's kind of a human contract. I mean, when you're fear, yeah. like I was mentioning the drivers here, I was walking across the street and 
jaywalking and, and did you almost get hit? I think I accelerated and honked his horn at me, gave me a thumb. Was like, did you get that feeling? I was, I was scared. I was, yeah. and that's, I mean, fear. Again, it's, it's our the ancient brainstem that that it speaks to, and and yeah, embarrassment is a form of fear. And you're yeah. like, oh no, I don't want to lose face. I, I feel out of place in this, and within that. But it's, um, yeah, I can modulate fear by having training and going into it, and having building blocks of experiences that got me to that point. But they're... Um, do you practice, like, you know, the way athletes practice different things for re repetition? Do you practice putting your situations so when oh, yeah. you're in the moment? Yeah. So... What, like, what, how would you practice fear? So I would practice fear. So if I'm going into a climb, what is... One, I'm hyper-situationally aware, which is... The medical description is ADHD. Yep. So finally, at age 60, I... We got the whole test run. My parents knew that. They were like, no candy, more time outdoors. Get him on a hamster wheel till he can't sit still. And then, you know, no, they didn't want to do any of the prescriptive medication, which I'm thankful at this point. But I also, I learned I had to have a to-do list and a, a small reward for myself afterwards, which was exercise. And so that, I still use that. I have to have my to-do list written down. And like, if I get through this, I got to go climbing. And mm -hmm. so there's in that sense, working with that. Um, but that hyper-situational awareness is really helped me keep alive. So we're sitting in here, and while I'm focused on you, I'm having to shut out the, the AM radio in the background, the people walking back and forth, and our camera team, and all this stuff is like trying to, like I'm having to like move it out and stay focused with you, and that's what being present in the moment is. But when I'm at a cliff, what I do is worst case scenario risk analysis. And I just build this into all of my, what I'm doing. And so- In business, you do the same same thing? You have to, yeah. And so, like if I'm driving behind a, a semi that's hauling logs, you know, or gravel, what am I gonna do, you know, could something go wrong? Probably not today, but my safety margin, like I'm gonna, give them birth, or, I mean, I use that as an example. Um, when you were, when the pockets open, and you're getting, it's like, you probably have four or five scenarios in the back of your mind that you've rehearsed them, and then you can then go to them. And that that visualizing and, and, and understanding where it is, so. So do you think it's, sorry, yeah. important to change when things are going perfect? This is a question we ask, yeah. you know, we talk yeah. about business, yeah. like I'll give some context. Oftentimes, when things in business aren't going well, you're like, oh, I gotta change. It's not yeah. going well, I have to make things. But then there's, an, there's also another philosophy. The most important time is to make change when things are going well. The reason being, you have the resources and the calm, you know, your, yeah. your state of mind is different. You know, in business, you may have more capital because things are going well, so you can make more uh, yeah. decisions. So, what do you think about that? Oh, change when you're, when you're, in the good spot is, yeah, that's what you want. I mean, otherwise... Necessary? Necessary, you'll become obsolete. And there's so much to learn about in this world and that, yeah, if you think that you've got the best generic aspirin on the market and it, it's a commodity, but if you're doing something that's innovative, that's in the marketing space, that's creative, if you're not thinking ahead and changing, it's definitely... When we look at soft drinks, they have a recipe, they're not changing that. But if they, I mean, that's success, right? It continues to sell. But if they don't innovate and change in the marketing standpoint, they're gonna, their sales are gonna drop off and something else is gonna take that spot in there. So there's, they're, even though they might be selling lots and lots of soft drinks, they have to make sure that they're gonna be on that. Uh, and like when you're in the mountains and the, mount, the weather is good and, and you have that moment to, to get to the summit, then yeah, you, 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 you like change to a higher gear. You go, I'm gonna make it happen with there. So, um, but fundamentally, if you're like, oh, I like the status quo, then that's fine. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. one, I don't want to judge people. Yeah. If you wanna eat nothing but Wonder Bread, yeah, not to diss the brand, but if you wanna eat packaged bread your whole life, well, I'm happy for you right. and, and, and be there with it. and. But there's all sorts of different types of bread out there, whole wheat and all that. And so I, I use that. And I'm not, the only time I get into people's face is when they affect other people. Yeah. When there's like 
hey, this, this is not cool. This, like, when I was a, helping out coaching kids in track, and there was this moment where a young kid, and it was just outright racism. The kid dropped N-word. While we're, and it was like, my son now is 28. They were running with. And it was like this, stop. They're like, you can't do this. You can't, this is not, 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 not. And this is in Bozeman, which is a really white place. Mm. And so we slow walked back, and I was like, this is, this is not acceptable. And the kids, you know, the one kid, his dad, I mean, it was just, we bristled. But I was looked him in the eye. I said, this, because at that age, they're repeating either from media or what they get at home. So it's not, we are born to love. We are not born to hate. And then kind of the redemption came. One of the young men now that ran track with Isaac, we crossed paths. And he goes, Coach Conrad, I want to thank you for that teaching moment we had there. That changed my life fundamentally. And that was like a mentorship. It's not an ongoing thing, but it was this touch point where I was like, this is not acceptable and you have to stand up for it. And they'd, they'd never seen anyone do that. And they and that, that one moment changed that young man's life. And to, for him to come back and say thank you to me was... Yeah, and that and when people harm other people, and it, then I'm like, I'm going to stand tolerance. up for it. Zero tolerance, yeah. and that's that's my challenge here in the United States because yeah. we have this systemic system, and white guys like myself that are 60 year olds and have the levers and power, yeah, they're we need to do better. And when I have these conversations, like, yeah, our democracy is only 58 years old. They're like, no way, we're coming up on 250 years. I'm like, no, 1964 was the Civil Rights Voting Act. And until then, we were not equal, and it was 1919, the Emancipation for Women, before that, I mean, yeah. And when I drop that in a conversation, people, they're like, but I'm like, we have a long way to go. We have this, this, the storied history of the United States and where we need to be, and we have a responsibility that comes at. And yeah, yes, we're the beacon of, of freedom and, and constitutions and liberty and modern government, because it was a, a very young thing we did, but our national reconciliation that it was stolen land beginning in 1619 with enslavement and people that had no choice, I mean, it was, and we've never had this, like, I mean, it came to a war in the 1860s, but there's never been, like, a, hey, let's, let's work on this. Let's look at the system. Let's look at how this goes. And to me, that, that's, that's a source of energy and where I need to go. Well, speaking of long ways to go, after that handshake, I quickly realized that I got to go get some some calluses or something on here. These hands are way too soft to be climbing mountains. <laughs> I need to go outside and rub these hands on some rocks. And Coach Conrad, I can't wait to get up on the mountain with you. DK, let's uh, make it happen. So um, I wish I was in Memphis, August 15th. It's the fifth anniversary of Memphis Rocks. If you'd like to come down and meet oh, the we team. We live in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on over, meet Tom Shadyac. This, and there's a climbing gym there, and then there's this whole urban development project that never, I mean, the food, the supermarkets never made it. They'd come in for two years and they're like, hey, we're not making it. And so it's a, it's in a food desert. That's where they built the climbing gym. But then there's the rest of this development that came from federal money and then there's a shell in there. And the whole idea is to build a village that has vocational training and job placement for underserved communities with the foundation of climbing that you come in there and you serve other people, you understand who they are, and whether it's working in healthcare or business, computer programming, podcasting, it's when when the two of you get there to Memphis Rocks, I'm gonna be in 
Nepal at that time, but um, I've been part of that gym for five years now, and it is, I mean, people are like, what makes you happy? I'm like, I get to go to Memphis, and we hang out, and we go climbing, and, and to these moments where this gym is the, the, the climbing gym is, is the physical education place for a small elementary school that doesn't have the facilities for kids to exercise. And they come in there and they're, they're having fun. They're just, they're jumping around and they're tumbling on the mats. A few of them are climbing, some of them are swinging on the ropes, other ones are kind of exploring the, this and that and jumping around on the yoga balls. And it's just, they're kids having fun. And that, that is, um, yeah, we, we play so we can be young again. I love it. I love it. Appreciate you, Conrad. We'll talk soon. DK, till our next time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, awesome. Dan. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. This is yeah. great. Gosh, this is awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Playing Business. As you know, Dan and I value good discourse and perspective. So let us know what you agree with, disagree with, or what you'd like to hear in a future episode. Always appreciate a good review or a rating, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks to the On Discourse and Audio Up team for the production of the podcast, and see you in the next episode.